This is Amira Murad, the host of The Locker Room Podcast. As a former NBA dancer of eight years, captain and assistant coach of an NBA dance team, I know what it actually takes to make it onto a team and stay on one. It wasn't an easy road to get there, but it was worth it. After getting cut, being told no, not making it back on teams along the way, I knew that my perseverance, confidence, and talent would get me to where I wanted to go, no matter how long it took to get there. That is why I started my company, The Cultivate Code, a training and mentorship program to support aspiring pro dancers make it onto their dream team. In the past few years, TCC has supported over 50 dancers in making it onto NFL, NBA, and semi-pro teams. And we can't wait to support you on this journey. Join me here weekly in the locker room where we'll cover all things pro sports dance teams. Could you please introduce yourself for anyone who doesn't know you? Of course. So I am Dr. Chelsea. I'm a college professor and a mental performance consultant. So, or sports psychologist is an easier way to think about it. I'm a former professional dancer, but now I consult with dancers, mostly from the high school to professional level on how they can enhance their mental skills to make sure they have the best performance and increase kind of their happiness and enjoyment of dance while they're at it. That is such an essential piece of the puzzle. Thank you. So, I think so. But I I know that our dancers are going to love hearing from, from you on this because the biggest conversation I have with our dancers and they come to me with it, everyone, confidence. Yes. And that's what comes down to your mental toughness and mentality, right? right? So right. speaking of which, we're coming into audition season. We're, we're gearing up for NFL auditions. We're in the middle of semi-pro auditions right now. Can you describe your experience of working with dancers and athletes preparing for the high pressure of auditions? Of course. Uh, most of my work is with teams or sometimes with coaches, just telling them how to like take this back to their dancers. Uh, but I do some individual as well. It doesn't matter the setting. If you're on your own going into an audition or you're with a team already trying to get back. Uh, but my work is really just in conversations and kind of workshop style format of helping them understand uh, this, the mental, like you said, the mental skills and what they can do to help prepare for it. Uh, because just as much as you're training physically, you want to make sure that all that training shows up in, you know, the few minutes you get in front of these judges. So making sure that you're mentally prepared. So it looks like a classroom workshop uh, style and just helping them plan for that side of it, just as much as you plan for the physical audition. Yeah. And it just can be such an overlooked piece in mm -hmm. setting you up for success to be able to mentally handle the whole audition process and yeah. also being on a team like the auditions is literally just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And then there's that whole iceberg underneath that you have to get over once you're on a team. Yes, absolutely. In your opinion, what are the most important mental attributes for a dancer to have when auditioning for those teams? Yeah, I like this question. I was thinking about, as you were just saying, there's audition and then there's like the professional gig itself, right? And they are somewhat different skills. So when I think about auditioning itself, the very first number one mental skill, which is always true, is awareness. And I think it's 
like you were saying before, it gets overlooked. It's the thing that we don't always pay attention to, uh, but awareness of like, okay, what are my thoughts right now? How does my body feel? What are my emotions? Is something ramping up and being able to be aware of where you're at and how you're feeling and what you're thinking so that you can make adjustments if you need it. I think we often are feel like we're at the mercy of our emotions or at the mercy of our thoughts. I'm like, I just, you know, I am anxious all the time or my, I always get sweaty palms. Like it just is going to be what it is, but you're not necessarily at the mercy of that. Like, so starting with awareness, I think that's the first piece of starting to notice and be aware of like, okay, I just got this feedback. Did I actually apply it? Did I put that on my body? So that um, awareness is that absolute first one. Can you walk us through a typical mental or emotional challenge that you have seen dancers face while potentially prepping for auditions or on a team? Sure. Uh, And I think it would be like the second mental skill. And then it's the thing that usually goes awry is focus and being able to concentrate on the right thing in the right moment. And it doesn't matter if you have you know, if you're normally very good at concentration or you're somebody who really struggles with that, it's like a separate mental skill when you're talking about high performance. So even if you're like, oh, I'm good at focusing or you're somebody who's like, I've always struggled with that, you can train your ability to concentrate and to bring your thoughts back to something uh, intentionally. You can practice that. So when in an audition, right, your focus gets thrown off all the time. <laughs> so things happen where you're like, oh, that was a terrible combination or how did I mess that up? Or, you know, the judge isn't looking at me and you forget a count and all of a sudden everything is thrown. So it's really easy for our focus to get uh, derailed, right? And so it's the skill of being able to bring that back. So you ask like, what's that biggest challenge? I think it really is when focus gets derailed, And then that usually leads to some sort of emotional reaction, whether that be, you know, your heart, the physical reaction, your heart rate goes up, the emotional reaction, if you start to get upset, you start, you know, to get mad, whatever your reaction is to that, that they kind of go hand in hand. So it's uh, focus. And then that leads to this kind of emotional reaction. Do you have any tangible tips for dancers who are like in an audition and they lose that focus or they are thinking of those? almost self-sabotaging thoughts. Yeah. How can they get back into like a grounded space? Absolutely. And it's, so I guess two pieces to that answer. One is you have to practice this before the audition. So just like you won't show up to an audition, never having learned POM, if it's going to be a POM based team, same thing with this. Like you have to train how to come back with your focus uh, before you show up in the high pressure situation. So with any skill set, mental or physical, if you're going to have to do it under stress, you have to train how to do it when you're not stressed. <laughs> and if you can do it there, it'll help you be able to do it once the pressure is on. So train this just like you would train anything else. And then the how is that awareness piece of when you notice the negative self-talk, or I call it unhelpful self-talk, just anything that's not in the moment where you need to be, whether it's about a mistake that already happened, or you're worried about something that's coming up, um, you're thinking about last time you auditioned, whatever, that unhelpful thought is noticing that it's happening or noticing like, oh, there it is. That's not helpful. And rather than trying to change it, 
there is some evidence and some support for trying to just replace it with a positive thought, right? Just stop it and replace it with a positive. Uh, that works in some settings. A lot of psychologists um, in, well, a lot of psychologists will ask that of you and like encourage you to do it. And I being one of them for years, but what I'm finding more and more with dancers is if you just try to replace the positive, it feels fake, right? Like if you have a bad run through of a combination or you forgot a count and you walk off and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I screwed up. Telling yourself, it's okay. I've got this. Like, doesn't feel good. It doesn't connect. It doesn't feel great. So instead of trying to replace it, it's more about uh, letting it go. Like let it just drift on by. Notice it. Let it keep going. It might be true. You might have absolutely just completely screwed up that combination. So telling yourself it's okay doesn't feel good. If you're like, no, it's actually not. <laughs> like I actually really did mess up. So it's letting it go and then coming back to the present. So circling back to what you asked about the concrete tool is being present and then getting yourself there. So a couple common practices for doing that and being present in your body is uh, some uh, going through the five senses helps a lot of people of just noticing like, okay, in this moment, what do I see? Like I see judges panel. I see all these beautiful dancers. I see this big sign over here. You know, what do I um, feel? And it's like, okay, I can feel the way, you know, my outfit is sitting on my body. I can feel my hair. I can feel like uh, noticing your sensations. And uh, what do you hear? Right. I can hear everybody. I can hear the deep breathing. I can hear the shoes on the court. I can hear like, just go through your senses. Um, obviously like taste is sometimes a little weird. <laughs> it doesn't always work, but the other four work well and feeling back in the moment, right? That's the whole point of like, let go of whatever that negative thought was. Yep. I missed a count. It's okay. I missed it. It's over. I'm going to come back to the present. What do I see? What do I feel? I'm here. Some deep breaths. What's next? kind of going to that next thing that you have control over that you can focus on. That is so powerful to, again, like take that power back into yourself. Yeah. Cause you walk off and your friends are like, Oh my gosh, it was totally fine. But you're, you, yeah. you're not happy with how it went. And so it's okay to have that feeling, but how do you look at that feeling, let it move past mm -hmm. and then focus in on the present moment because you can't change that experience, right. but you can change your outlook moving forward to make it a better outcome the next time around. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I say how you have to practice this because coming back is hard when you are more emotional, when it's a higher pressure thing, but none of us have a perfect class. You're going to mess up in a class too. So practice it there. Like, okay, I didn't get that one. And even if it's not a pressure situation, most dancers have elements of perfectionism and we get mad at ourselves when it didn't go well. So practice it there. Like that wasn't my best run through. That's okay. Let it go. Deep breath. Come back in the moment. What am I going to focus on for this one? And the more you do that in rehearsals and practices, the faster you'll be able to do it in an audition setting. Absolutely. Another tip and kind of my mantra that I use in my everyday life, not just dance, is to control the controllables what in this moment is in your control. And so when you're trying to let go of a mistake, or even if you haven't made a mistake, it's been great, but ultimately you're not the one making this decision. So letting go of worrying about what other people are thinking uh, or what other people are doing or what, the, because so much of auditions, when we do get distracted, when we lose our focus, 
it's because we're worrying about something that's not in our control. So we're worried about like, oh my God, I'm in group one, or they're not even looking at me, or this dancer next to me looks amazing. Like you can't control any of that. So during that uh, audition process, focusing on what's in your control, and there's really only three things. You can control your actions, like your actual behavior, the effort you're putting forth, the smile that's on your face, the intensity with which you dance, your effort is in your control. You can control uh, the actions you take, the effort you give, and your concentration. And again, that's where like, don't let that be in charge, drift it and bring it back. So control the controllables can be a really powerful reminder in these high pressure moments. And I think that that's an important piece for dancers because I don't want to generalize but I would say the majority of us are type A yes, and perfectionists. <laughs> and um, I will just say for myself, I'm a little controlling of mm-hmm. my situations, right? And so to be able to focus on day in and day out dance and life, control the controllables is such an essential piece for our group. Absolutely. When it goes into kind of a whole thing about goal setting, I don't know if we want to go on a giant tangent, but I will summarize that if you have a goal to like, I want to make this team or I'm going to be a professional dancer, like wonderful, have that big goal. Those are what psychologists call outcome goals, right? It's the end game. Those are great, especially if you're competitive, if that's a motivator for you, cool, keep it. But when it comes to training, your goal can't just be, I'm going to be a professional dancer. That doesn't help you day in and day out. And instead, they're what we call performance and process goals. And the process goals have the biggest impact. That's the how. It's like, okay, what do you need to work on? What do you need to get better? And if you need to work on stamina, what is that training regimen going to look like? If you need to work on you know, strength in your arms, how, what is that uh, you know? training scenario going to look like down to how many reps, how many days a week, like what are you doing exactly? Because then you can control that, right? You can say, well, I got this feedback from the last audition, or I've heard this in my training. So these are, you know, how I'm going to set up my goals, my nutrition goals, my training goals, my practice, all of it as things in your control that you can check off every week. And it's not going to be perfect. You will miss days. You will have Uh, times where you don't hit your goals. But the more you track that, when you get to the audition, you've done everything in your control, right? And that's a big source of confidence to say, I have done everything in my control. Now I just gave this full effort. And I let, you know, the, the people here who are making the choice, make the choice that's right for their team. And you can separate yourself a little bit from the outcome, because you've done your part, and it's been in your control. Yes, that's so important. Because I think many dancers just think I want to be on a dance team, on a pro dance team, and don't think about all the things that actually help you get there. Mm-hmm. And they're stuck between where I am now and getting onto the team. And yeah. so you just helped them get from that point. And I think that sometimes they don't they don't know, right? Right. The the unknown piece. So that's where we step in. We can tell you all these different pieces, but it also comes back to the implementation. And I can only give you so much mm-hmm. information or trainings. You also have to do the outside work in yeah. controlling the controllables of I'm strength training four times a week. 
I'm taking a dance class. I'm getting feedback. I'm doing these things that mm-hmm. then are going to bring me to actually making it onto a team. Yeah. And it's so much more motivational to have those little small micro goals. Cause a lot of this, you may be training for months and years and to have that be your only goal. Uh, it's really easy to be like to lose track of it every day or every week. Like, oh, wow, I didn't get in a class this week because I didn't think about it. Um, instead of having those smaller micro goals where you get that boost of that reward that like, okay, I did it. I feel good. I'm on path. Um, yeah. It's so much easier to stay on track when you've really broken it down like that. So powerful. With auditions, can you share some effective strategies that dancers could use to boost their confidence and presence when stepping into the audition process? Yes, of course. It's as we started talking about the very beginning, it is the big mental skill that everybody wants. How can I be more confident? How can I make sure that that is what the judges are seeing? And the one piece before I get to the tangible is that confident actions come before confident feelings. So you have to do it first. You have to get a little uncomfortable and push yourself and know that that's who you are and I'm okay and this is good. Uh, I think many dancers, again, back to the the perfectionists and that part of us, we want to make sure it's going to be perfect before we do it. And so we're like, well, I'll feel confident when I hit it or I'll feel confident when I get called out on the class. I'll feel confident when this happens. And that's the reverse order. <laughs> like Instead, it's I have to do the confident work. I have to put myself out there and go for it let that happen first. And that's how you start to feel confident. So it's kind of where the goal setting actually piggybacks onto this. It's not waiting for some big thing to happen. You're like, oh, I feel confident once I make this team or once I get noticed in this way. It's like, feel confident in what you did today. So you do one small thing that makes you a little uncomfortable, that challenges you a little bit. And it could be, for those of you who are still students, like raising your hand in class to give an answer to something you may not be a hundred percent sure that, you know, um, that's the professor in me. I love it when people do that, <laughs> but like do something that makes you a little uncomfortable, you know, go volunteer to be in group one, stand in front, like wear a bright color. If you normally wear black and neutrals, right? Like do something subtle and small just to push yourself out of that comfort zone. And every time you do that, you have that, like, okay, I did it. Oh, okay, like I, you can build that confident sense of these small things. And that's uh, one of the strategies. And again, very well backed in science to just like act confidently. And it, it is that like, just be that confident person, take confident actions, and it will start to build. So that's one of them. And then goal mapping is another one, which is just the scientific phrase for what we've been saying, like set it out small, daily goals, weekly goals, you know, you want to increase endurance. Okay. I'm going to run X distance, X amount of days, this like plan that all out, um, leading up to your big the actions. I read, I was reading a book the other day and it's a, it was about mindset and it was talking about how your thoughts become your feelings, become the actions, become your results. Do you Mm. feel like that is different than the let's take the action first to then have the feelings and confidence or is is the way that you talk to yourself really inhibiting you from moving forward and taking those actions? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. It, it's both. So let me explain. So you said, say the pattern again that it said thoughts become your 
feelings, feelings mm-hmm. become your actions, your actions become your results. So you're okay. talking about that action result situation, but how do you actually get yourself yeah. to that peak? Right. So yes, I don't disagree. And when I, I start to go into my neuroscience and brain, whether or not thoughts or emotions are first is actually still very much debated. Uh, and a lot of times they're simultaneous or you are interpreting an emotion. So you can, um, we're interpreting what our body is doing, right? So if you, like your hands are all sweaty, you can have the thought, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Or you can say, my hands are all sweaty. All right, I'm excited. Like, let's do this. You can interpret it differently. Uh, so the, the thoughts and emotions piece, yes, I think it can trigger an immediate thought, but it doesn't have to be the controlling thought. Like that doesn't have to be the end. You can intentionally change how you are perceiving it. And I think that's kind of what I was getting at is like, yes, there is definitely this link between your thoughts are going to impact um, your emotions and vice versa, which are going to impact the actions you're able to take. That is all true. But I think that also discounts our power to change those things and that you can train to have different thoughts and you can train to have different reactions. And or like I said, just noticing an unhelpful thought. I mean, like that isn't going to help me have the actions I want. So bye, next thought. And so yes, thoughts can come and lead to actions, but not every thought is as like, it doesn't, it's not going to grip hold of you. You're like, you get to decide. You get to have a little bit more of an intention in between to say, that's not helpful. And we're not going to stop negative thoughts, right? Our, our brains are trained to keep us safe and they're trained to panic a little bit. So that's not going to happen. So don't uh, try to stop them. It's just, again, noticing them, letting them go by and coming back to what uh, you, to being in the present moment. But my point about actions coming first is that you may not be thinking the helpful thought, right? You might be thinking like, I can't do this. Or like, this is, this combo's too fast. Like um, I'll never get it. And then being able to notice, okay, that's not helpful. I'm here. I can do fast choreography, deep breath. Let's do it. Now, do you truly believe you can do it yet? You might not, but you got to go try. You got to go do it. And then through the actions of like, okay, I made it. I did it. You will be more confident the next time you do it. So I don't think any in either linear path is always correct, right? It's the cyclical feedback loop, but my point being, you can interject and control um, and take intention about how they're impacting each other uh, more consistently and like decide how you want this feedback loop to work for you. Right. And it's not just, okay, well, that's my thought. It must be the truth because exactly. your brain is, and I, I don't have the background that you have, but I just have a lot of books that I read. Your Which is awesome. Brain is going to look for, like, if you tell yourself something, it's going to try to find that truth in your mm-hmm. reality. And so if you tell yourself the positive piece, then it will look for that positive versus mm-hmm. the negative piece that you tell. Yeah, yourself. absolutely. And I think what you were saying, like, do you, do your inner thoughts really start to have that control? And it's something I tell teachers and coaches, like your, what you say to your dancers becomes their inner voice, which is very powerful. And then to the dancer, what you're saying to yourself is your inner voice. And that is going to be what you hear on repeat. So that's where the extensive training comes in. If you're usually very mean to yourself, that's not going to change overnight, but you can continue to practice and notice and say, okay, yep, I'm aware that there's that negative thought again, that is not helping me right now. 
I'm going to be different. I want to change it. And whether that's replacing with the positive or focusing in the moment, um, for some dancers, it's actually easier to focus on a technical thing. If you're like, oh, I just screwed that up. I'm so stupid. Wait, no, that's not helpful right now. Next time I go, I need to focus on going and one. I was a little late. So if I go and one, I've got it. And just going technical helps shift back to like present. I can control this. I can do this. Yes. And I always tell dancers, if you're in a group or you're waiting to go in groups, I close my eyes. If I'm say the second group, I close my eyes and I visualize myself doing it. Then it asks, it helps me with my memory. And the Mm -hmm. moment that I mess up in my brain, I open my eyes, I get back on track. And that's normally the piece that I mess up when I go and perform, because I already know that that's the piece. And so how can I fix it prior to going out into groups or the performance that way I get like I hedge my bets almost and I get ahead of it to be able to make it a better performance round for myself sure so I think visualization is wonderful and powerful and something that a lot of dancers uh do but usually we use it just as you were talking about in the sense of like, I have a combination or a full routine and I'm just going to rehearse that in my head. Um, that's how I used it for years. I was the studio dancer that I was like, I'm just going to run through my choreography, you know, solo to line, just do the whole thing. Um, and that works for memory. It does. Right. But visualization, uh, has a lot more to it. Uh, and there's more that you can like get out of it and more that you can practice with it so that when you are using it in a high pressure situation, again, you're not going to use it in a way that catches you, right? So if you, I feel like if you don't know the routine or the combo really clearly, you might be like triggering anxiety a little bit. Like you said, we have like, oh gosh, that's the part I missed. Uh, So if you don't know it yet, visualization uh, could be really, I don't want to say super harmful, but like, it's not going to help you the way you want it to. So the two things about visualization for it to be really powerful is that it has to be vivid. Like really, what are you wearing? How does your body feel? What's the scenario? Like all of that is in it and it's in your control, right? That you're not going to image yourself messing up. So that goes back to like, if you don't know the combo very well and you're not in control of the image and it's going to, you're going to see yourself making a mistake, you're priming it to happen again. So it's, use it in a audition setting. If you feel like you really know it, um, or it doesn't have to be a whole combination, like image yourself doing like a technical skill beautifully, right? Just take that part and practice that in your head. Uh, you can use, you can also use visualization well before you get there as like a motivational tool. I mean, I use it sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to get up and work out today. I don't want to do this. But if I'll take a second and create this whole image of that outcome that you want, like put that uniform on, what does that feel like? What does it mean the moment when you get to hug everybody who made the team, like image that moment and it can be really motivational. So, so many more ways that we can use it, but that answers your question about in auditions. Like it can, if you don't really know the combo well enough that you don't have full control over the image then you image yourself making a mistake, which does make it more likely that it'll happen again. So interesting. Yeah. Do you have any techniques that you recommend for dancers who need to manage their anxiety or nerves the day of auditions? Yes, of course, because we all have it. It's all there for everybody. Uh, So one thing about anxiety 
uh, is that it's either what we call cognitive anxiety, your thoughts, or it can be your body, the the sweaty hands, the tense shoulders, right? Or it can be both. And it's knowing what it is for you. So this goes back to awareness. Like if you pause for a minute and say, what happens to me when I'm nervous? What happens to my body? What happens to my thoughts? Which one comes first? Like, how do you know that you're starting to get anxious? Because if you can notice it sooner, it's going to be a lot easier to handle. So everybody's a little different, right? And I will ask, you know, big rooms of dancers and get 50 different answers, but try to reflect and think about it for yourself. Like when I get really nervous, do you get sweaty? Do you get dry mouth? Do you, is it a physical thing? Is it the thoughts first? Like what starts it so that you can notice it. And then even something as simple as like, uh, I call it like my dancer count for deep breathing, uh, can help kind of regulate and put you back to a better place. But the sooner you can notice it, the sooner that kind of breathing is actually helpful. And can you walk us through your your breathing kind of technique? Oh, sure. It's nothing like earth shattering. I just, uh, any kind of deep breathing is great. So whenever I help dancers with it, I just put it on an eight count because it makes us happy and it's like comfortable, right? So I'll just breathe in for six, hold for two, out for eight. So breathe it in really slowly going, breathe in two, three, four, five, six, hold it there, two, breathe out, three, four, five. Yeah. And uh, usually I go like a little bit slower and do it about four times, slowing down as you go uh, and help kind of regulate the breathing. So there's not a magic to like, I don't remember what the numbers were, just do some deep breaths. Uh, but I found dancers resonate with doing it on an eight count and then they remember how to do it in the moment. Um, and again, practicing that before you get there and you know, anything that makes you nervous. Do you have a presentation at work? Do you have something that you have to like stand up in front of people? Like, you know, do a mock interview, like all of those things were like, okay, practice, notice what my body and my thoughts are doing as I'm getting nervous. There it is. All right. Interpret it differently. I'm excited. I'm prepared. Like this is my body ready for this. This is going to be good. Do some deep breathing if you need it. And then you're ready to go. Yeah. That was going to be my question. How early should dancers start using this tool so then they know how to tap into it mm-hmm. on audition day and not just rely on it? Oh, I'm going to remember to do right. my deep yeah. breathing exercise. You're not going to remember, right? No. And I think it goes, we understand it as dancers. So I'm like, if you don't, you know, train to use your back in a turn, you're not going to miraculously do it when it's time to perform. So you have to train it consistently. So that is second nature. All of these mental skills are the same way that you keep training them, especially in lower stakes situations so that you're more and more comfortable. And then um, I was just talking to another professional in the industry was saying about how she talks to her dancers that it's you in high pressure, you're going to uh, go to your default. Right. So if you make a mistake, whatever is going on, you're going to go to whatever your default is. If your default is parallel when you should be turned out, that's what's going to happen. If your default is a negative thought, that's what's going to happen. And it's about training your defaults. So trying to train in the lower pressure situations that you can stay calm, stay in deep breaths and practice that with like ever increasingly stressful times in and out of dance uh, so that your default is to say, there's that little bit of buzz of nerve, but I'm excited. Let's do this. Absolutely. And it's something that you can incorporate into your daily life routine as well. Is it something that you incorporate in the morning or in the evening to set you up for success for the day or 
get into the restful state at mm-hmm. night, how can you integrate these pieces to be really as your lifestyle and not just this one segment of your life of dance? Because especially when you go professional, your whole life is surrounded by dance, even though it is a part-time situation. And so how can you use these tools to help your entire life as a, as a human? Absolutely. You find any small moment that is a little uncomfortable, a little bit of a challenge and lean into it. And it's try to find the small moments. And uh, I even use, I reflect with my daughter at the end of the day, she's seven and we'll have little conversations about like, did you do something challenging today? Right. And sometimes she's like, not really. And I'm like, oh, bummer. Okay. Tomorrow let's find a challenge. And just at the end of your own day, be like, did I do anything that was a little bit of a challenge today? And maybe it was that you had to have a hard conversation with someone. Maybe you had to give feedback that was challenging to do. Maybe you were like putting yourself out there in any some small way in our normal life and then recognizing like, oh, I did have that. And I leaned into it or like, nope, I had the opportunity and I chickened out. Okay. So tomorrow I'm going to lean into it. And it is their life mental skills, right? It's everything. And the more you can integrate it into your everyday life, the more it'll be there for you as a dancer. Uh, And then you can create them as a dancer. Like I said, if you normally are not comfortable putting yourself in the front in class, then, you know, next week be in the second row and next week be in the first, like put yourself out there a little bit, find moments where if somebody says, well, why don't you like try this? And your immediate reaction is to like, no, I can't do that. Like, okay, now you got to try. <laughs> like now that's the thing that you want to push a little bit. Absolutely. With so many tools that you're able to have in your toolbox to set yourself up mentally, if you had to choose like three daily habits that mm-hmm. you could integrate as like, I love a good checklist. I love <laughs> a good like progress report at the end of my day. Did I do the yeah. thing like your questions that you ask your daughter, your breath work, what are the three things that you could have on your to-do list, call mm-hmm. it, that would help set you up for success mentally overall? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I I think, aware, as I said, awareness is number one and anything that's going to help that, which usually comes in reflection. So I would engage in some sort of reflection for the day. And uh, I'm also a person that has like a word for the year and my word for 2024 is reflection because I need to get back to it because I did it very regularly for a long time. And then it was like, I got this. This is like normal now. And I was like, no, this is an ongoing practice. So reflection, a little bit. It can be a formal journal. It can be just a few minutes of silence, you know, as before you're getting ready for bed. Like if you like to stretch in the evenings as I get older, I love that and I need that. So I tend to incorporate it into my stretching at night. Uh, And so, yeah, some element of reflection. And it can be as structured or unstructured as you like. If you like that more formal checklist and I want to ask these few questions, uh, then you can pick Uh, A few, uh, so good ones would be, yeah, did I do anything that was challenging today? How did I, like, what made me happy today? Or did I do um, anything to make anybody else happy? Was there an act of kindness today? Uh, Is those, anything. That's all kind of growth mindset, happiness. There's lots of great 
formatted journals if you want those. Um, so yes, journal reflection would be one that really increases the awareness piece. Um, I think the second thing would be some sort of weekly small goal tracking, whether that's, you know, two or three habits that you're trying to make that could be simple things about exercise or water or journaling. Like my, one of my day, weekly goals is to journal because it was falling off. Like I said, I wasn't doing it. So I'm like this has to come back um, or to read or, you know, whatever it is that is going to help, help you. So um, some sort of goal tracking system, seeing the growth, seeing the progress, um, and helping to notice like, okay, I, I fell off this week, but okay, you know, it's only been a few weeks of this. If I stop now because I had a bad day, then I'm not just losing the day. I'm losing the four weeks before that, that I had made progress. So when you, I like the visual of that, it helps me see. So um, I'll have, like, I have a sticker page on the front of my journal for something that like I wasn't doing as well at, and it helped to see like, i such a childish thing, but I love it and I keep doing it and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> keep putting little stickers like, okay, I did it today. Sticker. I did it today. Sticker. So that when I missed one, I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, I missed one. But then if I stop, it's so much more obvious to like, yeah, but you had all of these before that. It's not just today. You missed today. Fine. Go back and do it again. Like just keep going. Um, and that's the the kind of mindset that carries to an audition because then you're like, okay, I missed that one combo, but that's just the one. I've done so many other good things leading to this moment. I don't have to give up on it because of this one. So it's that kind of consistency. So I think those are two big ones that I would definitely like add to kind of practice like awareness and reflection or like, you know, opposite sides of the same skill and that goal setting. So powerful and, and important because like you said, it may not seem like it's directly related to making it onto a team, but mm -hmm. it truly is how you show up for yourself in one thing is how you show up for everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see it when we train physically. And then yet we feel like mentally, I should just be there for myself. I'm like, it's the same challenge and it's the same kind of consistency. We know what happens if you don't work out for a few weeks and you're like, oh, I feel that already. Like it happens quickly. And your brain is the same thing. Like your thoughts, your emotions, your ability to regulate that. It needs that consistent practice. Absolutely. In your experience, how does feedback and constructive criticism during the audition process affect a dancer's mental state and how can they best handle it to move forward? Sure. This is also a great question because if you are getting feedback during an audition, I see that as a win. Like that's a good thing. Somebody noticed you. Um, so I think how a dancer can handle it, it's in how you interpret that. So we were talking before about what comes first, thoughts and actions and interpretations. Feedback is the same thing. When someone gives you feedback and it's how you take that, does that mean, oh, she thinks I'm not good enough or he's giving up on me? Or does that mean, hey, they noticed me? Like, all right, they think I'm, they think I'm capable. I got to try this again. And that subtle interpretation it changes everything about what it feels like, right? Because getting a critique can feel I'm not good enough. I'm, they don't believe I can do this. I should just give up. Or it can feel they believe in me. This is exciting. This is good. And if you take that interpretation of it, it makes a huge difference in your mental state during the audition and taking that feedback as a positive. So just training yourself to receive it that way, which can be hard because some people give feedback very like bubbly and positive and it's easy to take it that way. And some people, their delivery is not bubbly and positive and it's very strict and to the point. And so being able to hear that with the positive intent, with 
which is behind it always. It just doesn't always sound it <laughs> like interpreting it that way of like, they wouldn't give me this feedback if they didn't believe I was capable of doing more. So I'm going to take that as a good thing. So I think how you handle it is that interpretation, you know, and seeing it as a good thing, seeing it as a positive, because I think you would probably agree with me and I lean on your expertise here. Like a big part of getting feedback at an audition is they just want to see how you handle it. That's the whole point of like, are you going to fit our culture? Are you going to be someone who can receive this and apply it? So mentally, if you take it and panic, you probably won't apply it well, where mentally, if you take it and say, this is feedback, they believe in me, I've got this. Okay. What did they say? Back to awareness. Is it a placement that I can change? Maybe I thought my body was doing that, but it's not. Okay. Or I thought I had great presentation on my face. Guess it wasn't enough. Okay. How can I change that? And taking it in and making the correction, uh, not only about your mental state, but that's like what they were trying to do in the first place. It's going to help you show up better when that's what they're looking for. Absolutely. I am known for very direct feedback with no bubble or spunk. <laughs> right. So it, it doesn't need to be. It's okay. It's just as a dancer training, like that doesn't mean you don't care about them. In fact, it means you do care about them or you wouldn't bother. Absolutely. And to your point, it truly is if you can't handle it during the audition process or even prep classes or dance classes, if you can't take it and utilize the feedback and be able to not have a breakdown, you won't be able to survive on a team because it is how can we make everyone look the same? And you are going to have to have feedback the entire time. Veterans have feedback. Rookies have feedback. Captains have feedback. Coaches have mm -hmm. feedback. Everyone gets feedback from someone else so you can be your best version of you. That yeah. is truly the whole premise behind the feedback because mm -hmm. coming back to the perfectionism and the type A people that we surround ourselves with, we want to be excellent. And yeah. so the feedback is to help you be the best that you can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think specific to these kinds of pro teams, it's not even necessarily feedback on like you as a dancer, it's feedback on you fitting their program and like taking it in as like, okay, this is the the style. This is what they want to see to know to your point that I do blend, that I can be a part of their look and their style of dance and their energy. So taking the feedback is like, this doesn't mean I'm bad. This just means they think I have a shot of fitting this program. So let me try to adjust and make sure I show them that. Absolutely. And everyone has different backgrounds. And so you can't expect everyone to be a cohesive unit unless everyone is getting feedback. And so if you're getting feedback through the your dance classes, prep classes, and audition process, that is a way for you to look like a unit and not a solo dancer. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Final question for you. Could you offer any advice or insights to our podcast listeners on maintaining long-term mental resilience, whether they make a team or not? Yes, of course. And so when I think about long-term kind of mental toughness, long-term resilience, we have to be resilient in this industry and in life, right? We have to be able to uh, push forward that you know, resilience is really just that you are stronger or better after you've had some challenge, like you're actually better for it. You're stronger for it. So 
that's a good thing that we're building that. My advice to dancers who are kind of on this audition circuit and want to be here for a long time, it's to think about your identity. Who are you? What are your values? What matters most to you? And dance is probably up there somewhere, right? Being a good dancer, being someone who is focused on that as part of your life, it that is going to be important and it's going to be up there, but it's not the whole of who you are. So thinking about your identity of like, what other values do you have? Do you value relationships? Do you value family? Do you value connection? Do you value learning? Like what else do you value? And what else is a part of your identity? What makes you, you and dance is a small, but important part of that. So that as you're going through this, like you said, even if you don't make the team, it's not that everything about you is gone. It's like that part of me didn't, I didn't achieve that goal this time, but you have all these other aspects of you that are still true and still a part of you. And it didn't derail everything. So the dancers who have a harder time are the ones where like being that professional dancer is the only thing in my life that matters. It's the only thing that I, that would make me worthy is to be on that team or be a part of that. And when it takes over your whole identity, that's when you're more at risk. And which is just true for everything, right? People do it as as parents and any other profession, like when that is your entire identity from a psychological place, that's when you're at risk. And do you feel like all of the tools and tips that we've talked about today so far help can help dancers who haven't made it onto a team or because it's such a difficult time to mm-hmm. not get onto a team? Is there anything other, any other advice that you would give dancers who auditioned for their first time or they've auditioned five times and haven't made it? How can they still continue to be in a really good mental state Uh to continue on their goal or be okay with the nose in this process? Yeah. I think it's what we have been talking about with that sense of control, the controllables and those process goals. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of those disappointments. We all are going to get whether rejections or anything that creates that sense of disappointment. And so it's about acknowledging of like, I am really disappointed right now. Like it's a real emotion. It's there. I'm I'm upset. I'm disappointed. And knowing then knowing if that's actually the emotion, sometimes you're like mad or you're there's something else going on. So notice what it really is. Um, and like giving yourself a space to do that, right? shoving it down doesn't help taking a little bit to like, I am, I worked really hard for this and I am disappointed and I don't have to Pollyanna myself out of this. Like, it's okay. I'm going to be a little sad and be upset. Cool. Give it a little bit of time. And then it is like reframing. Okay. Where do I want to go with this? Do I want to try to audition again? Do I want to look at the feedback and see if there's a different kind of team or a different process that might be a better fit for me? Do I want to say this was not meant for me and I want to continue and find a new goal? And so it's taking like, okay, what's my new goal? What's my next direction? Rather than getting stuck in the sadness of the emotion right now. So there's this balance between like, don't ignore it, acknowledge it and be there for a few minutes, but then, or days, but then redirect to what's the next step. And sometimes we have to detach from what that outcome goal was, because that goes back to the controllables. Ultimately, somebody else is making a choice and you can't uh, put everything on that. So it might be that like that specific outcome goal didn't happen, 
but I can go back to my process and my values and what matters to me and create a new goal that I want to focus on. Um, but I think ultimately, like the way I view my life and the way I encourage dancers to think about it is like, as long as you are living in integrity with your values, you are success. So it's defining success for you. Is success only making X team? Like, no, success is so much bigger than that, right? It's going for that goal. It's being vulnerable. It's And it's, you know, doing the work to the, be proud of regardless of the outcome. And if you've defined success in a way that's in your control, it's easier to separate from whatever the outcomes are and then decide what's next with a little bit more of an objective view of what might be right for you. Yeah. And I feel like we often get the no and just jump right into fix it mode instead yeah. of reflecting, is this something that I really want or is it just what I thought I wanted? Because mm -hmm. if it's what you really want, it may take a lot more effort and dedication that you thought was possible yeah. to be able to make it onto the team that you want to. Right. And back to auditions is that you often don't get feedback, right? And so right. that is truly why TCC exists is to be able to give dancers feedback, but are you willing to listen to it yeah, and use it as a tool to help you leverage to be able to get to that next step? Figuring out all those different pieces and asking yourself, mm -hmm. is that what's really what I want to be able to make this goal or is it not worth the hassle to you? Mm -hmm. And I, when I talk to dancers about this and like individual consults, I call it the reality gap. And there's going to be a reality gap of where are you really and where do you want to be? And how big is that difference? And sometimes we perceived the gap to be much smaller than it really is. And that's okay. And it's normal. And it's great. And that could be going for a new job. That could be anything. But if you've had some sort of feedback and it could just be, like you said, the no with no other context, maybe you're realizing like, okay, my, in reality, this gap is bigger than I thought. And then taking that more objective intellectual, like, okay, so what does fit my values? What fits my goals? How do I want to show up and choosing what's next based on what you want, especially to the dancers who are a little bit younger, like college or just coming out of college, like you probably don't have a solid sense of who you are yet. And your identity is still evolving and changing. And so we tend to lean on like mimicking and being in the image of somebody we admire. And at some point you have to pull back and like, am I doing this because this person I care about told me I would be good at it? Or are, am I doing this because I've had this dream since I was little and I didn't acknowledge that my dream changed. And so taking the time to sit through and kind of be in that, that goes back to reflection. As I said, kind of that first key awareness piece. This is going to be so powerful for our dancers. And thank you so much for spending the time with me today and talking about this. Of course. Where can everyone? Yeah, I think my podcast is the easiest place to kind of get in touch and see all the types of things I talk about. It's called Passion for Dance. Uh, it's really more about dance, like teachers and coaches, uh, helping them learn these kind of mental skills to be able to help your dancers like thrive, be more successful, be happier. Uh, but I definitely record episodes to the dancer. Uh, I've learned they, there's a mix of both in there along with lots of interviews with some industry professionals and stuff too, that are a great way to think about it. So passion for dance, wherever you get your podcasts, um, all about the mental skills, focusing on mindset, motivation, and resilience for dancers. Amazing. And then are you on Instagram? 
Yes, it's just my name, doctor.chelsea.parati, but uh, Parati is P-I-E-R-O-T-T-I. Awesome. I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. And this is just going to be so awesome for all the dancers in our community. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love talking with talking with you and being a part of the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you.